0: So, some of you all, I love that couple, some of you are feeling pretty good about your dating relationships now. (laughs) A couple things that you need to know. In two or three weeks, we're gonna be kicking off our summer series. Uh, so don't go too far. We're calling it Summer Stories, and it's going to kick off on Father's Day. There's going to be several uh, sermons and teachings that are just built around stories. So you're going to get to hear from a couple different people, um, some guests, some people from the congregation themselves, and want you to come and be a part of that. We're going to kick it off on Father's Day. I have a talk that I can't wait to share with the dads in the room. And let me just say this. I'm not going to beat you up. Amen, guys? Okay with that? So we're going to celebrate the life that dads have in our church and in our in our community. The other thing that's coming up is on Father's Day, we're also going to have a baby dedication and baptisms going on. So if you have a child that you want dedicated or baptized, let me know real soon. You can fill out a connection card. If you don't have a child, you really don't have time to get ready for that. So... You can work on that in the future. Um, (laughs) We're going to jump in. Some of you are like, what? I don't get it. We're going to jump in. If you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. We started two weeks ago this series called What Happy Couples Know. And two weeks ago, we started with a box. And we said that every one of us in whatever relationship we enter into has our box. And in our box uh, is our hopes, our dreams, and our desires. And that every one of those things that is in our box has come to be based on the things that we want, the things that we dream about, the things that we hope for. So we have hopes, dreams, and desires about our relationships when it comes to how we spend our time. Some of you want to be home all the time. Some of you always want to be on the go. You have hopes, dreams, and desires about that. We have hopes, dreams, and desires about when we get married, what we're going to drive. And then it becomes a minivan, and I couldn't find one of those because they're not online. Um, then, then we have hopes, dreams, and desires maybe about who's going to do chores and how clean the house is going to be. And we said even what they wear when they do the chores. Like there's, there's hopes, dreams, and desires about those things. Some of you will get that later. Um, we have hopes, dreams, and desires about how we'll do conflict. I lost a boxing glove. I don't know where it is. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> this crowd is getting way too comfortable. Everybody's been talking <laughs> back to me gonna have to get some robes or something to make you all feel intimidated. But we have hope streams and desires about conflict. Some of you think, well, I grew up or they grew up and, and when they did conflict, we just shouted about it and we got it all out. And then when it was over, we said we loved each other and it was done and we moved on. And others of you said conflict. We don't talk about conflict. Mom was always right. Dad was always right. This is just how we did it. We're not allowed to have an opinion. And some of you say, I conflict, I thought that's what sex was for. Like that's how you make up and we're gonna be okay. So we have hope streams and desires about those things. We have hopes, dreams, and desires when it comes to children. Some of you want to have one child. Some of you say, I was an only child. I don't want just an only child, but I want a boy. There's no boy in this box. No boy in my box either. And that's kind of the way it goes. We have hopes, dreams, and desires when it comes to money. Some of us think, well, I'm a saver and we'll save all our money so that we can later on in life spend. Some of you say, saving, I don't know what that means. I want, I want, I want, and you'll make the money. And and we have all these things that come in to the way we approach relationships, and they are our hopes, our dreams, and our desires. But I want to tell you something about that, because what happens is when we take this box to a relationship, what is critical to understand is that at the very center of your box is me. Because these are my hopes, my dreams, and my desires. And I know this because later on in the relationship, it often becomes a challenge because when me is at the center, that creates problems. I, I was with uh, our middle daughter on a field trip this week, and I was watching the kids over the course of the week, and they were, they were playing the MASH game. Do you guys remember the MASH game? <laughs> They have an app for it. We did it on paper with like chisel and stone. And, and I'm watching them as they're watching, working MASH. And I'm like, every question you ask in that MASH game was all about... What are you hoping for? What are you dreaming about? What are your desires? And your friends, if they pick, they'd pick like a bad option, but you'd pick all the good options. And, and what I thought is, you know, we never in our, in our growing up, in our preparation for relationships, none of us ever spend time going, I wonder how I can become the type of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. None of us do that. Instead, what we do is we prep because we are thinking, who am I looking for? Who do I want? What type of characteristics should they have? What should they look like? How much money should they make? What should their career be? Will they talk a lot? Will they listen a lot? What is this person going to be like? And it's a hope, a dream, and a desire because at the center of those things is my hopes, my dreams. My desires. Now, we also said a couple weeks ago this creates problems because when we when we enter into these relationships with our hopes, dreams, and desires, we often hand it to the other person and say, "These are mine. Why don't you do something about it?" But to the other person, it feels less like hopes, dreams, and desires, and a lot more like expectations. And so what happens in the relationship is that I hand them my hopes, dreams, and desires, and I say, here, these are yours. Now you get to help me bring these to reality. And they say, well, these don't feel like hopes, dreams, and desires. You acted like it was a light box. Now it's a heavy box. And I'm standing on one side going, why? These are my hopes, dreams, and desires. And the other person is standing on the other side going, these feel an awful lot like expectations. And we said, here's what expectations are. Expectations are the strong belief that something will happen or will be the case In the future. And we expect these things to be brought to reality because of the person around us. The problem with this is it creates a different kind of relationship. It creates a relationship that's more of a debt debtor relationship, where because these are now expectations, You owe it to me to fulfill those things. You owe it to me to bring those things to reality. Now, have you ever had somebody owe you money? Like maybe you purchased the pizza and they owed you the 20 bucks to pay for the pizza and they bring it to you and they say, look, I'm giving you $20. No, you owe me $20. Give me my money back, right? You can't have gratitude. Nobody goes, oh, you owe me $20. Thank you so much for paying me back, we don't have gratitude in that situation because it's a debt-debtor relationship. That's the same way with our relationships. When we turn these things into expectations, they often, it's often difficult for gratitude to come in. And I would say this, it's often even difficult to recognize love because it constantly feels like we're trying to earn the affection, the appreciation, the love in that debt-debtor relationship. So we asked two weeks ago, how do we keep this from happening? How do we keep our hopes, dreams, and desires as just that and keep them from becoming expectations? And the answer we came up with was this. It's in the form of a question. We have to ask, what does the person that I'm interacting with, what does my spouse, my partner, my fiance, what do they owe me? What do they owe me? And if you want to keep those things in the box and not let them become expectations, you have to ask that. What does the other person owe me? And the answer is simple and hard at the same time. The answer is they owe me nothing. We said happy couples know that. Every happy couple, especially happy Christian couples that I know, understands that the partner, the spouse, they owe me nothing, and yet I will give them everything. It's the reality. We have to begin to, to take that to heart. So we said last week that this is, this is what a Christian marriage is all about. It's not built on rules or codes of conduct. Or, so for those who are married who are following Jesus, the marriage becomes actually a race to the back of the line. It becomes the submission competition. How can I serve you in the greatest capacity? And we left off looking at a new command that Jesus gave. Now, I want you to understand this because Jesus gives this command. He says it's a new command, but the Jewish people were not into new commands. For anyone to offer a new command, they had to have authority. So Jesus is giving a new command, showing his authority. Here's what he says in John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also Love one another. So Jesus took the 600 plus Jewish laws. He first reduced them to two. Remember, he's asked what the greatest command is, and he says, Love your neighbor, love God. Love God, love your neighbor. Those are the two commands. Now he sums it up in one. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now this sounds a little bit like the golden rule, right? Everybody remember the golden rule? Treat others the way you want to be treated. If you grew up at the middle school, it's the world will be yours. That was our golden rule, right? So treat others the way you want to be treated. Jesus says, I've got it. the golden rule's okay, but I've got a platinum rule. I want you to love others as God has loved you. That's the rule. That's the command that if you could begin to in all of your relationships specifically your couple's relationships. If you could begin to love the other person as God has loved you, it will change the climate of your relationship. Now, Paul took this principle from Jesus and he began to apply it in a whole different way uh, several years later to every relationship that existed in the church. Paul says, I wanna take this to marriage. I wanna take this to leader follower. I wanna take this to friendships. You've gotta understand because when Jesus says, as I have loved you, love love one another, Paul says, now, I want you to apply this. So I want to look at this passage from Ephesians 5, and I want to kind of walk through it out of order. Now, uh, here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to give you a, a preparation, okay? I'm going to read a verse, and then we're going to go back and explain it. But the first verse that I'm going to read, at least half of you in this room are not going to like it, okay? I'm just giving you fair warning, and I'll explain it to you. But here's what it says. Ephesians five twenty-two. it says this, wives, submit yourselves. See, I hear it already. You're like, let's go to lunch. We came, and we're going to for this. submit yourselves to your husbands. As you do to the Lord. Now, see, I told you, half of you at least were not going to like this. Am I right? Amen? Some of you do not like this. How how many of you have heard this before? You still don't like it. doesn't matter how many times you hear it. Yeah, okay. Some of you have never heard it, and you're like, really? That's the Bible? Let's not talk about that part. So let me say this. I'm really glad as we start today that you're bothered by this verse. I am. Because I think we need to understand why. I want you to look at your Bible. If you got it on your phone or in your, your hands and an iPad, wherever you got it, I want you to look at your Bible. My guess is most of you have an English Bible and not a Hebrew Bible. Anybody Hebrew readers? That's what I'm not either. So that's what I was. Th- I like tattoos, but I don't read it. So if you have an English Bible, here's what I know about your Bible. Your Bible probably has chapters, verses, sections, even t- subtitles over top the sections. So I want to tell you that when they translated it to English, in the Greek translation, there were none of those things. There were no chapter markers, there were no verses, there were no subtitles, none of that existed. So I want to read to you, I want to show you exactly what the Greek translation is. Here's what it says, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord, okay? So now, grammar, fanatics, what do you notice about this? There's no verb. That's right. There's there's no verb. And that verb is pretty important, right, in in this translation. Wives, submit. Everybody loves that word, right? Should we say it all together? No? Okay. Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. Submit is not there. The verb is not there. Now, some of you are really bothered. And I want you to hang with me, okay? Here's the deal. If you were there in this culture, in the first century, in the Greco-Roman culture, you would have heard this verse, man or woman, doesn't matter. You would have said... Duh, not, huh? Because this was exactly what was expected and what took place in that culture at that time. It was absolutely common ground for this audience. It would not have surprised anyone. Of course wives should submit. That's what they would have thought. The Romans and the Greeks in in those cultures, they actually, to be a man, meant that you had this law applied to you called patria potestas. And Patria Potestas said that because you were the eldest male in the house, you had the legal jurisdiction over the women and the children in your family, in your house, over the slaves, you were the one in charge. Guys, do not amend that. It will be a bad Sunday for you, I'm telling you. So what Paul says here would not have been a big deal to them. It's a big deal to us because of what comes later, we'll explain that. But the question that I have is this, why no verb? Why no verb in this, in this verse? Did some white European man, and I, I just want to say this because white European men are not doing very well today, were, w- did they just add this for their own sake? Did we just plug this in somewhere? What's the deal? The answer is this. In translating the Greek text, the Greek text, when they translate the Greek, this is super common to take a verb from the previous section and imply it throughout So we have to look back at the last verse to understand what's taking place. Look at verse 21. Here's what it says. Submit to, everybody say it together. No, 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 the next part. You guys got to keep up. Submit to one another. All right. So you can look at your husband and say one another, right? Like you've got it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this verb submit is not made up. This has not been injected later for the sake of women's submission. This has been implied from a verse where Paul starts by saying, hey, I want you to understand, and guys, get ready for this, submission is mutual, Submission is for the good of the relationship. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says, in light of the all, the respect, the reverence, the worship that you have for Jesus, and in light of all that Jesus has done for you, submit to one another. This reverence you have for Christ should be translated into love for one another. This is why I said two weeks ago the Christian marriage becomes a submission competition because it is mutual Submission. And don't miss this. This mutual submission makes marriage absolutely amazing. Some of you are like, I don't get it. Right. That's why we're talking about it, right? Mutual submission makes marriage absolutely amazing. In fact, that's what happy couples know. The happy couple says, I'm here for you because God was here for me. I'm gonna serve you because Christ Himself served me. I'll leverage everything I have, everything I possess for your good because Christ leveraged everything he had for our good. We may have different roles in our relationships, we have different talents, we have different abilities, but we should not have different value or worth. So let me clear this verse up. Let me just explain this to you. This is a disruptive and subversive point for the culture of this day. When Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the next verse is an application of that. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. You got to do that. That's what it's going to look like. You're going to submit to one another. Here's one example of that. Now, women, when you hear this, here's, here's what I'm imagining. Typically, the thing that's assumed when you hear this, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, 100% of the men that you know have not been worth submitting to. That's what I would imagine, Right? That's that's what I would imagine you're thinking. And Paul says, wives, place your man's hopes, his dreams, his desires far ahead of your own. So then, what comes next? Now, I wanna tell you, we're offended by wives submit to your husbands. The culture of this day would have been offended by the next part. Look at verse 25. It says this, husbands, love your wives. And then there's this phrase that we've gotta underline, highlight, circle, write down, hang on your mirror, stick it on your husband's face, whatever. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Everybody say, just as. Just as. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Let me tell you, guys, it didn't end well. (laughs) He died on a cross. He died for the church. He gave up his life for the church. The way Jesus loved the church was by dying for it. So guys, you may understand that part about wives. Submit to your husband. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the only verse in there? See, the Bible says that you gotta do it. it. no, because the next verse, Paul says, no, but husbands, this is your application. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your own husbands is to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So let's pause for a minute. And I really want you to understand what Paul is doing because this is a verse that in our culture today has been taken. These verses have been taken and they've been used in a couple different ways that I just wanna confront here and call out because I think these are false ways to take these verses. Here's the first thing the first way these verses have been used is as as an abuse to women, right? Maybe some of you grew up in a religious setting, a church setting, a Christian context where this verse was like a power stick that you wielded, the leaders wielded, and they said, men are in control. We have power, we have leadership, we have authority, and women, you're welcome in God's kingdom, but only to a certain degree. You can serve the church, you can serve in this place, we'll even let you love our nursery kids, but you're never preaching, you're never speaking, so that's an abusive way to use that power. And it's not at all what these verses were meant for. You cannot biblically, and we'll sit down and grab coffee if you think you can, because I'd love to talk with you about it. You cannot biblically argue that women have a lesser role in God's kingdom. The entire part of this section starts submit to, everybody say it, one another. One another. Out of reverence for Christ. Wives as to the Lord. And, and Paul's expanding. This is what mutual submission look, looks like. Wives, submit yourselves to your, to your husbands. And then husbands, love your wives like Jesus. Die for her. You know what I'm offended by? If we want to argue the Bible like this, Paul told women to submit. He didn't tell them to love the husband. Does that mean you don't have to love me? That's ridiculous. Right? So this is not ever to be used as an abusive. Verse, Ephesians five twenty eight. it says this in the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So Paul goes on to say, "Men, listen up! You are to love your wife as if she is you." So I want you to grab onto this patria potestas, this law where men had the right to do whatever they wanted. This assumption that the woman is property and can be treated any way you like. Paul says, "Not anymore. Not anymore. Not in Christ's kingdom. That's not the way this works." This may be the culture of our day. This is not how we're going to do it. He says, you are to love your wife as if she is you. You are two people married together, one flesh. There's no division. There's no separation. There's no inequality. See, so this verse has been used in that abusive way. Here's the second way that I think this verse has been used, kind of the other side of the spectrum. It's been used as an excuse to reject Christianity. See, I have, I have several friends, specifically women, that I've known that, that will actually walk away from the Christian faith because they believe the Christian faith is sexist and over-masculine, and they want nothing to do with a God who would, who would create in that way. And I want to say to you, listen, please understand, that doesn't work either. That doesn't work because this means you're reading one verse in English and losing the context. It's actually biblical interpretation without biblical exposition. Because if anything, these verses reveal Paul approaching a culture on its own terms, saying, submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands, of course. But understand this. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, he's stepping into a culture and we look back from our historical context and go, that was so sexist and conservative and primitive and why would Paul do that? And Paul's actually saying, no, I'm actually progressing the culture in a way that would have been liberal in that day and I'm moving things forward because God's kingdom has never been about one person being made lesser. So we can't reject Christianity because of that either. We have to do the work of biblical interpretation, Interpretation. this is all about mutual submission. The reason our culture today bristles at this is because we're in a Western culture that says, well, equality matters between men and women. But listen, can I just tell you, guess who introduced the idea of equality to the world? Jesus, right? Paul continues it. There's neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, slave nor free. He progresses these things. God created Adam, and he took the woman. Listen, don't miss this. This is really good. Ladies, you're going to like this. He took the woman from Adam's side to walk beside Adam. He didn't take her from his behind. That's weird. (laughs) To follow and be submitted to. It was a companionship. It was a co-helper, a co-partner. And so Paul says, yeah, of course submit to your husband. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The dignity, the value, the worth that Jesus gave to women was culturally unprecedented. Don't miss this. He names women that supported his ministry in the book of Romans and Corinthians. At the end of Paul's letters, he's always celebrating the women who carried out the ministry. Jesus says, he's asked, when should we divorce? Because in Patria potestis all I had to do was walk up to my wife and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, which reminds me of Beetlejuice, by the way. If I said it three times, it was done, Right? And they say, Well, Jesus, when is that okay? And Jesus says, It's not okay. You're unified. You're one. Don't separate what God has put together. Jesus is raising the value and the dignity of the women and saying, Men, you've got to love her like Christ loved the church. And wives, you would submit to that. If somebody was dying for you, would you have any problem submitting to that person? I wouldn't. This is the story that Jesus paints. When Jesus resurrects from the dead, we get, you know, the first people that report the resurrection are who is it? It's the women. Can I just say to you, if, if you're going to make up a story that you think is going to set a religious movement for the course of the world in that first century culture, don't use women as your testimony. They wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have believed him. The reason we're told that is because that's what really happened. That's what was really taking place. Jesus pushes this forward. That's, that's exactly what's going on. So I, I just want to say to you, please don't reject Christianity based on this verse without the work of full biblical interpretation. You are equally valued and worthy, and you are to submit to one another. It took the church, and it's taking the church a long time to catch up to this. I I would say we're missing this. So let's get back to Paul here. What's his point? Let me ask you this. Men and women in the room, think about this. What is it that brings you life? What is it that you're most passionate about? What are the things that if you could spend all day, every day doing it, that's what you would go after? What are your hopes, your dreams, and your desires? And then let me tell you this, when you look at your partner, your spouse, your fiance, the person you're dating, what are their hopes, their dreams, and their desires, and how do you begin to put those things before you? Guys, how do you put her before you? Ladies, how do you put him before you? I would say we have to take our big box of expectations and get it back to being hopes, dreams, and desires. And of course, the question is, how do we do that? Right, how do we do that? I think the first thing is what we've talked about, that you decide she doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. And I'm telling you, for that to work, for that principle of saying you owe me nothing and you owe me nothing, for that to work, it has to be mutual or it will never feel the way it's meant to feel. That's what happy couples know. Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So two weeks ago, I gave you homework. Everybody remember? Remember? first homework was what's in your box you got to answer that question for yourself what's in your box and then the second question was is someone have you asked someone else to carry it around for you and there was a third part of that which was you're not allowed to talk about it with your spouse or your partner everybody remember how many of you talked about it anyway be honest confession time one one honest person the rest of you are lying I get it so I'm going to give you homework this week are you ready I want you to ask them what's in your box What's in your box? Now listen, there's a condition on this. Not on the way home. Not on the way home. The guys are freaking out right now. Okay, I'm just telling you. The ladies are like, yeah! (laughs) But the homework is this. Ask them, what's in your box? Wait for the right time. Pour them a glass of wine, right? Like sit down and have a good dinner. Talk about it. What's in your box? And then here's the second part of the assignment. After you ask, close your mouth and listen. Close your mouth and listen. Do not respond. Just listen. Just let them talk. Now, he, he, here's, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going I'm to give some conditions on this. Guys, for your homework, listen. If you ask her, she may do one of two things. She may faint, okay, because she's so shocked that you were actually paying attention, or she may get really ticked off, okay? So just hang in there. Just close your mouth and listen. If you need to, we practice this together. This is okay. This is a good spiritual hand movement of worship, Like it's all good. Just ask and listen. And guys, be ready for surprise. Now, ladies, here, here's what I want you to know. He's probably gonna say, when you say, What, oh, honey, what's in your box? He's probably gonna go, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Got nothing in my box. I don't wanna talk about boxes, just go away. Right? Now, here's what I'm gonna tell you. We aren't lying when we say nothing. We don't know. We truly, honestly don't know. We're afraid to even go there in many ways. Guys, I would imagine, and and I'm not gonna do this, but if I said, hey, when's the last time somebody actually sat down and asked you as a man, what are your hopes, what are your dreams, what are your desires? I bet 98% of the, the guys in this church would say, nobody's ever asked me that. Nobody's ever asked me that. Nobody's ever asked me that. Some of you, you used to have hopes, dreams, and desires. Guys, and whatever happened with dad, with mom, with the split, with the the breaking of that relationship, with the breaking of friendships, with the breaking of relationships, you lost those hopes, dreams, and desires. So, ladies, when you ask, don't be surprised and stay patient. Stay patient. Here's what else you need to know. Guys, I know this because I live this. You're scared to talk about it. You're scared to talk about it. But you, here's the reality, you may be scared to talk about it, and you may not even know what they are, but you've been expecting her, or you've been expecting him to fulfill them regardless. And so it is high time that we all sit down and go, here's what my hopes, dreams, and desires are. I got to name them. This question, what are your hopes, dreams, and desires? What are you dreaming about? What are you hoping for? What are you desiring? This is the question that says, in the context of your relationship, I'm all in. I'm going all in. I wanna know your your heart. I wanna know your passions. This is the question that says, I'm less self. I'm selfless. I'm a person who's less about myself. And you know what I know? Less self people are happier people. You ever notice that? You ever notice the people with the most stuff, the most riches, the most material stuff, the biggest houses, the biggest mansions, the most resources, they're the most miserable people in our world? Uh, Some of you don't believe me. Go pick up a celebrity tabloid and watch how many of them are crashing Did you watch the royal wedding? I watched the sermon. I watched it, and I thought, all those people look miserable. Like, so many of them just look unhappy. The people that we look up, the less self people are the happier people. And you know what that means? The less self relationships are happier relationships. It's the happier relationships. Because if I take the pressure off, then we start to find happiness. So here's the objection, and I'm going to close with this. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but but if I take the pressure off, then what happens? I don't know what's gonna happen. If I really take the pressure off of him or off of her, I'm afraid. I'm afraid he won't do this anymore. I'm afraid that my dreams won't come true. I'm afraid of what that might mean. I'm afraid she will do this. I'm afraid he'll stop doing this. I'm afraid she's gonna go and do this. I'm afraid he's gonna spend all our money. I'm afraid she's gonna spend all our money. I'm afraid we're gonna be fighting all the time. I'm afraid the dreams that we've been arguing about for years are never gonna come true. I'm afraid that if I take the pressure off, what's really gonna happen? And I think it comes down to something that's pretty simply illustrated. Because in reality, when it comes to our relationships, we're all playing a game of tug of war. And it really comes down, if your whole relationship comes down to pushing and pulling and saying, these are my hopes, dreams, and desires, and I want you to fulfill, and and I don't want to take them away, I don't want you to let, what it comes down to is just saying, you know what, mutual submission says, I'm done. I'm not gonna play this tug of war anymore. This is my Mr. Rogers moment. You ready? There's no hope until you let go of the rope. For every relationship I've ever counseled, every marriage that I've ever watched crumble and splinter and break apart, it has come down to an unwillingness to say, I'm gonna give up control. I'm gonna submit, and I'm gonna allow you to do your thing. And by the way, listen, if you're a Christian, you go first, (laughs) Some of you are like, well, I'll drop my rope. Are you ready? One, two, on three. One, two, three. <laughs> See, the Christian says, no, I'll go first. You know why? Because Jesus let go of his rope. When he came to earth and he died on the cross, he gave up his rights, his privilege, his status, And that's the gospel. This is why in all the New Testament commands and imperatives, Paul says, just as Christ did for you, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what happy couples know. Happy couples put each other first by going first in an effort to be last. Sounds so not fun, doesn't it? But I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, this is where happiness takes place, is when we give up our rights to say, I'm giving this away. I'm not going to play this game anymore. I want to be like Jesus, and I want to give up my rights. I want to see you fulfill. And then, then you know what your questions become? Man, none of us, is, Neither one of us is pulling on this anymore. How do we achieve our hopes, dreams, and desires? What does this begin to look like? So I'm going to invite the band to come, and I'm going to pray for us as we close. Here, here's what I want to say. Go ahead and come, guys. I, there is a reality that every person in this room has had hopes, dreams, and desires that some of them have broken down. Some of you are scared to dream again. Some of you, your relationship is in a constant state of fracture, and you're going, hopes, dreams, and desires, we're just trying to survive. I get that. Some of you are here, and you're single, and you're like, man, singleness, like, I don't even know what to do. I've got hopes, dreams, and desires, but the biggest hope, dream, and desire is I just want someone to share these with, and I'm saying all of that comes down to continue just saying, God, I'm I'm going to let go of this. God, this is yours. This is yours. And I trust you with that. So as we close, we're going to, we're going to pray and we're going to sing this song. And I would invite you, maybe if your, your spouse is here, your partner's here, your fiance's here, whoever you're dating is here, maybe this is a time of worship for you to just say, God, bind us together in the way that you see fit. Help us to give up our pursuit of control. If you're here and you're single and you're saying, I just want to recommit to say, God, I'm going to become the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. I'm gonna actually reshift this. I'm not gonna try to pursue the person. I'm gonna try to become the person. I always give a singles challenge, right? If you're here and you're single, I would say, man, here's my challenge. Go 365 days and just work on becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Don't even make dating an option. Just give yourself one year where you say, I'm gonna be all out for who God wants me to be. I think God would blow your minds with what he would do. I do, I really truly do. I know it's hard. I get it. But I'm calling us to something higher in our relationship. Because Paul says this. This is all about Jesus. This is how Jesus loved the church. So let's stand and pray together.